Good morning, New Break. How's everybody doing? It's great to see, I was going to say old friends, but you're not that old. <laughs> Super glad to be here with you guys again. For those of you that I have not met, my name is Robert. I am the executive pastor of New Break Church. I help to oversee all of the leadership development and campus development at all of our campuses here in San Diego. I also am the uh, campus pastor at our Scripps Ranch campus. So glad to be here with you guys this weekend. We're super excited for the message this morning. Pastor Mike and Teresa send their love to you. Uh, they're in Austin, and so they are not here, and you guys are stuck <laughs> with me. <laughs> Uh, I was looking at a Gallup survey that was taken um, a few years back, and it was an interesting survey. I, I always like looking at the Gallup polls and surveys that they do. And this one was unique in that it was um, less kind of checking off boxes, but more, uh, it was more conversational where they were asking questions to people about how would you define being rich? How would you, like as you look at your life, how do you define are you rich? And one of the questions was, Okay, so in your annual income, what would it take for you to like see your life and cross, you know, that imaginary line where you like are now rich? And it was interesting because some people said, well, if I make 60,000 a year, I have crossed that line. I'm rich. Some people said 100,000. Another group said 150. And then some people said, oh, $2 million. And so the interesting thing when you think about rich, right, and as you look at the survey, it's always the, the devil's in the details, right? It's always in the details of the survey. What's the metadata? What were they after? And what the people didn't know, the respondents, and this was taken uh, all 50 states, uh, everybody from different socioeconomic socioeconomic backgrounds, the whole variety, right? What they answered before they took the questions and the test questions was uh, survey questions was uh, your name your gender where do you live how much do you make a year now here's the correlation people who put 30,000 generally put how much 60 what did the people who put 50,000 as their income and the people who made a million you get the you get the gist of this survey in their minds and in their perception, which can also be our perception, is that, well, if I just make double what I'm currently making, then I am rich. And that's the perception that sometimes we, we tend to think that, you know, for me to be rich, I need to just make a little bit more. I need to make more. And, and I'm not rich, but that other guy is, or that other family is. And then we play the comparison game. Well, I don't make as much as they make. The reality is, if we're going to play the comparison game, is that three billion people in this world, half of the world's population, makes less than $2.50 a day. Think about that. And the reality is, we're actually rich. Yes, you. Everyone sitting here, here's how I know you're rich. If you have the ability to go purchase a book. Now, some of you would do this on Amazon. How many of you still go to a bookstore? Yes, I see those two hands. That was how many in laughter. <laughs> Are there any blockbusters still? 
Okay, so I asked that in the last service. Literally, somebody goes, yes, it's in Oregon. There is one left. <laughs> if you were to purchase a book on, let's say, Amazon, and it was a hardcover, right? So it's 12 to 15 bucks. That automatically puts you and I into some of the wealthiest percentage category in the world. And it's not just that you can purchase the book, but it's that you have access to purchase the book. It's that you can read the book. It's that you have the freedom to buy whatever book you want. And lastly, it's not only that, that you have the freedom to buy it, but you have the time to sit down and read the book which puts us into this category of rich. But we don't see ourselves that way. Andy Stanley, one of my just favorite pastors and mentor, wrote a book on how to be rich. I Googled that and his name never came up. There was one million books on how to get rich. This is different. This is how to be rich as a Christ follower. How do we live since that is actually the category we find ourselves, how do we live that way? And I love what the tagline is. You probably can't read it. It says, it's not about what you have, but it's about what you do with what you have. It's not about what you have, but it's about what you do with it. And as Christ followers, it's about how we are rich in Christ. And how do we, how do we manage that? How are we stewards of that? And in his book and in the Bible, there's a lot that's said about our trust and hope and the dangers of putting our trust and hope into something other than Christ. Paul the Apostle, he went around planting churches all throughout the Mediterranean, and he planted one in the city of Ephesus. And once he got it up and going for a couple years, he had this young guy named Timothy who he put as the campus pastor. And he said, hey, Timothy, you're taking over this church I got some things I want to tell you about, and that's where we get this book that we call 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says to him, listen, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. And then he says, in this way, right, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The danger for those people who... I say those people, people who get wealthy, people who have wealth, people who are rich, is to put their hope and trust, and then they become secure and safe in that wealth. Now, I've met a lot of Christians, and a lot of you new breakers, who are totally awesome at this, that no matter how much God blesses you, no matter how much God gives you, you're unwavering in putting your trust in that. You're unwavering in making that your security. Because you know that your security and your hope and your trust and your safety lies in Christ. And when you and I do that, when we 
put our hope in God and we don't allow these other things to take over in our lives, what happens is we're also guarded against the side effect of wealth, which Paul just said is what? Arrogance. Arrogance. So there's an amazing benefit to understanding how we are to handle what God has given to us. And so today's message is about you and I, rich Jesus followers, okay? Rich Jesus followers and how we handle our wealth, how we are to be rich in Jesus, how we're to be that way. And I think when uh, starting off, practically what that looks like is for you and I to learn how to love God through our generosity, to learn how to love God through our generosity. Now, if you're a new breaker and your family here, uh, most families have family talks throughout the weeks and months. What are the two things we always talk about? Calendaring and finances. So we're going to have a little family talk this morning. Uh, if you are a guest this morning to New Break or you're new to New Break, hey, don't get offended at this conversation. This is a family talk and we want you to be here. I'm actually super excited because you, as a guest or new, get a window into the house, get a window into how we see our lives and how we see our stuff that God has blessed us with. So I'm super stoked that you're here, and my hope is that you become part of the family of New Break and the family of God, but I just, you know, want to invite you in to kind of take a peek and go, what are these guys all about? Now, New Breakers, you know this. Generosity is one of our stated values. We have four stated values, and the fourth one is we call it give it away, and it's about how you and I develop a lifestyle of generosity and how we love God through that. So first off, what does it look like? Well, love gives. I think we all come to know that when we come to faith. We understand that, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God is a, a God of giving. God is, uh, by the way, God is not the God who has a loving character. He is love. It's not just that it's kind of the thing he does. It is who he is. God is love. We teach our kids that when they're real little. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. You guys don't even know this song, really? Okay. <laughs> How many know that song? Yes, three of you. Okay. <laughs> we need to teach that. Where's Sarah? Uh, God is love. That's who he is. So he only knows how to give. And so he's gives his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life the father gives jesus gives out of love to you and i so that we can know him and generosity for you and i is simply a response to god's love to the world around us and see god's been this way from the very beginning way back when humanity started he said look i give you everything everything I'll give you that all the uh trees and all the fruit trees and all the vegetables of the earth i give you all the you know animals i give you everything well almost everything there's one thing that he said you couldn't touch y'all know what that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right he said don't touch there's always one thing right everything else though he gave to us to what enjoy it was given to us again god is a god who gives and for our enjoyment but god knows our wiring and our inclination is always to follow our money. To follow our money. Jesus said it this way. He said, look, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. So the writer of this is from uh, the Midwest. 
Vermin. That's a great word. I think the translator of the NIV, New International Version, there must have been some Midwest people because I'm pretty sure the Greek word could have been interpreted way different than vermin. But here we are. Vermin. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, what? Treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Super important right here, this last part. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where? Also. It's just a natural spiritual law that where what I value is, my heart affection goes with that. I can't say I love my wife but never want to spend time with her. Because where my time is, what's time? Time's money, it's value. There my heart is. It's just simply a spiritual law that where what we value, our heart follows after that. But the battle is always there for all of us. No matter how long you've been doing this, no matter how generous you have been in your life, there's always the tug of the heart to go differently, to not store up treasures in heaven, to store up stuff here on earth. And there's always that tug. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I love technology stuff when it comes out. I'm like, don't buy it, don't buy it. You don't need it. Yes, I do need it. No, you don't. <laughs> I dropped my uh, iPhone X. I need a new one. <laughs> she's like, my wife's Lisa. She's like, you dropped that on purpose. <laughs> Why are your kids always saying they dropped the phone? <laughs> she's awesome at this, by the way. Like, just last year, she's like, okay, it's time for me to upgrade my iPhone 5. I'm like, can you even download apps on that thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> and she'll drive the car till it, like, dies. She had a 2001 Suburban, and I was like, honey, you probably should get a new car. It was a couple years ago, right? And she's like, no, until she dropped the tranny the second time in it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now. She's like, yeah, okay, now. I'm totally not, not like that. I get this tug, like, I just got to have new gadgets. I'm like, honey, I need an iPhone watch for my birthday. My birthday was in October. You see what I got? So there's always that tug, right? So it's kind of always this fight you got to have. It's, I don't think you ever just arrive where you're all good all the time, right? And so there's this pull. And I think when you think about that, the, it's about being content, right? Trusting in God, but being content. Not always looking for something else to bring me a false contentment or pleasure. So this was the problem in the days of Malachi. Now, if you've been here, you're like, okay, I know Malachi. If you haven't, you're like, who's Malachi? So he's the Italian prophet. Uh, Malachi, if you've been here, if you haven't, I'll bring you up to speed. Malachi was a prophet of God. He wrote to the people of God in Israel about um, 2,400 years ago. And he writes to the people of God. So a, job, a prophet's job was to bring the words of God to the people of God. So in Malachi, it's a pretty gnarly book, by the way. Malachi's got some tough things to say and, uh, from God, like some pretty harsh things. Uh, I don't know a lot of churches that do sermon series out of the book of Malachi. And I think it's part of it is because they don't, uh, like, there's, there's not an understanding really of what Malachi's about. Malachi, even though he's bringing the message of God, he's first bringing in chapter 1, verse 2, the real message, which is 
God loves you with an unconditional love. And he has these great dreams and hopes and plans for your life, but you're screwing it up. I feel like I have this conversation with my kids. Uh, (laughs) uh, And so Malachi does what we call the love sandwich. So think of two pieces of bread and the meat. The first piece of bread is I love you, son, but what I'm going to tell you is going to hurt. No. And then the middle is the meat, the hard thing you got to say, and then you finish the conversation with another piece of bread, the sandwich, right? I still love you and everything's cool, right? But you got to change. So the love sandwich. By the way, this works with your kids. This works uh, at your places of employment. It's always good to deliver a love sandwich. Don't ever do it on an email. It's good for face-to-face. And so Malachi is serving up the love sandwich from God. He starts this whole book telling them, I love you, but then he brings a series of what we call kind of indictments or, you know, God's like angry and rebuke and saying, hey, this is what I need you to look at and change. And so we go through the chapters, and last week if you were here, the big thing that God said is like, you guys are asking, where's the God of justice? And he's like, well, you're not taking care of the widow and the orphan and the poor. And, you know, he's like, you're just totally not caring about the things I care about, God's saying. So he brings this indictment to them, like, you guys need to, like, take care of. That's not who I created you to be. I created you, the Israelites, to be, you know, the temple and to be the light to the world. And you ain't doing it. (laughs) And so he finishes that. And on the heels of that is where we're at right now. So if you have your app or if you have one of those old things called the Bible with pages, I use them too. I do my devotion out of a a real Bible, (laughs) I call it. Not that the others are not real. See, that's the thing. Trying to get into the digital age. It's not real. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Oh, the days of Blockbuster. (laughs) So he starts off in verse 6. Look what he says. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, you're not destroyed. Whoa. What he's saying is, I love you, and it's a good thing that I love you, and I don't change because y'all are messing up, and I'm just letting you know that I still love you. It's really what he's saying. He's saying, who moved? I didn't move, you moved. And then he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And then he makes this statement. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. The heart of God is right in that passage. Return to me, and I will return to you. Forget about finances for a minute. That is the heart of God to you. If you're sitting here and you're feeling a little far from God as we enter into the holiday season, you feel like there's a distance between you and him, he longs to be close to you. He longs to have a close relationship. And he's just saying, come, come. Return, and I, I'll pour out my heart to you. I'll return to you. That's the heartbeat of God. And so he's, Malachi's, you know, quoting God and telling this to the Israelites. He's saying, look, return to me. I'll return to you. And, and now here's the crazy thing. Here's how they answer God, the Israelites. And this is, happens throughout the whole book of Malachi. They're like, well, what do you mean? How are we supposed to return? So they got like this little lippy attitude with God. Now, I would always be careful what you ask for, right? <laughs> like, God's a big, a big guy, right? He can handle it. He can handle our anger, our lippiness. But you better put your boots on, because if you're going to get lippy, he's going to have a conversation with you. Why? Because he loves you. <laughs> Again, I feel like I'm talking to my teenagers. 
Because uh, he loves you, right? He loves you. And so they're like, well, how do we return? And here's the thing. God's not going to be codependent ever. And so he loves them. And here's the deal. Because he loves them so much, he is now going to pinpoint the one thing that is most prevalent in their lives that is keeping them from God. He's pinpointing the one thing that's totally crashing and burning their relationship. And he says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But then you ask, well, how are we robbing you? <laughs> and he says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. See, what they failed to do was support the temple. Because from the temple was God's plan of how the people would support their place of worship, would support uh, the needy among them, would support the families, would support everything in their community and the world beyond. This was God's idea. This is how he saw it. And they had this failure to do that. And he, he says, you're like under a curse. I always wonder, like, what would that look like for me? What would a curse look like? I'm thinking maybe I won't get a good parking spot at the mall. Slow internet. Oh, wait, I already have that. Uh, all my appliances break all at once. <laughs> I lose my job. I don't know. But seriously, I think about what a curse might look like. I think one of the things would be I worry about money all the time. I think that would be a curse to always worry about my money, always worry about provision, the things that Jesus said he would provide, right? Food, clothing, you know, even the birds of the field, he prepares for them. But yet I worry about it, I worry about it. I feel like this is like the words of our famous theologian Snoop Dogg. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. <laughs> my kids totally think nobody would get that. <laughs> They're like, you can't say that, Dad. Nobody's going to understand that. <laughs> Thank you for that laugh in the second row. Uh, <laughs> like, that might be a curse, like always worried about your money. I think a curse would also be always arguing with people you love and your family about it. Or living in fear that somehow the shoe's going to drop and I'm going to lose everything. And so you have this scarcity mindset. You squeeze Link until his eyes bulge, uh, right? You just have this, this thought that somehow the scarcity mindset. And now what's interesting in this Malachi passage is Malachi actually gives the remedy kind of in the indictment. He gives the remedy to that in the indictment. And it's this term he uses in tithes and offerings. Tithe literally meant a tenth. A tenth that the Israelites were told to give to the temple. A tenth of all that they, they produced, because it was an agrarian society, so they were farmers and they were, you know, livestock, you know, people. What do you call them? Farmers. <laughs> we are farmers. Uh, so it was literally a tenth of what they produced. And then offerings were above and beyond that. And so what would that mean for us today? I, I think a couple ground rules, because if you Google the word tithe, you'll get a billion different answers all arguing with each other about what it is. I think the thing is this. I think the compulsory nature of the Old Testament tithe 
is replaced by a greater commandment to be generous at all times in the New Testament, in the church age, in Christ. But Jesus followed that. He obviously grew up with the idea of tithe, and he grew up with that, and, and he even in some scriptures talked about not neglecting that. And so it doesn't like kick it out. It actually raises the bar higher for us as Christ followers. The tithe, I think, is simply a starting point for you and I to cultivate a life of generosity. So why tithe? Why tithe? I think first it demonstrates that I'm putting God first. Moses talking to the Israelites says, hey, set aside a tenth of all your fields, of all your produce of the year, so that you may learn to what? Revere the Lord your God always. I'll never forget when I learned this lesson really well. It was back in 2000. I was just attending this church. Uh, we were running about 270 people on the weekend. We weren't a multi-site. I wasn't on staff. I was just a regular guy attending, and the church was about, the building was about this big. Okay, so it was I'm out of the camera shot. So it was this big to there, and it stopped right about where the sound booth is, and we would cram as many people in there as possible. How many were here during that time? Yes, there's a few of us. And so we would cram people in there, and we had five services on the weekend. It was crazy. And I remember sitting there. I was single, and Pastor Mike got up and a few other people who were part of the board, and they said, we're going to start a building campaign. We need to renovate this. And they owned this whole mall. And they said, we're going to rip out all these walls and put in this giant beam. And we're going to, there was a bar in the corner over there where the children's ministry meets. And we're going to tear that out. And, you know, right? Some of you are like, why'd you tear it out? No, uh, we're going to tear it out. And uh, new break bar. And so they said, you know, we're going to redo the whole thing. And it's going to be awesome. And we need like one point blah, blah, million to make this happen. And so I'm just listening, right? And I'm thinking, wow, I really want to be a part of this. Okay, everybody breathe. We're not starting a building campaign. That's not where this story's going, okay? <laughs> You're good. Just listen. Okay, we're talking about putting God first. Okay, so I'm like, I, I love this church. I live here in Tirasana. I love this church. I love what God's doing in my life and the people that I get to meet and watch, you know, firsthand all this cool stuff happening. I'm like, yes. So they said, go home and pray about it. So I did. God, what would you have me do? And weird, like God spoke to me, not in an audible voice. He said, here, this is what I want you to give. I was like, uh, sorry, Lord, what? <laughs> uh, it, it basically was above and your, beyond your tithe, 25% of your annual income. So I was like, whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> so I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. But I remember thinking and praying, I was like, oh, so, because I was saving up for a home to buy a house. And I thought, oh, so that's not going to happen at least for a year or two, because I'm going to make this commitment and do this. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I filled out a pledge card, turned it in, and it was my joy to do it. But what happened was quite incredible. As I'm putting God first in my life, one thing is he just begins to change me, change my heart, change my life. But here's the cool thing that happens. So I do that, and later that year, I meet Lisa, my wife, I meet her on a blind date. Blind date. She was blind. I was on a date. Uh, <laughs> so I meet her, and, you know, we start to date, and then we decide to get married, and what was really cool was she's an attorney. Oh, and did I tell you she owned a house? <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, 
So, like, God blesses me with a wife. I'm just saying, you guys make a commitment to, you know, help give to the church. If you're single this morning. Uh, I, like, get married. She's got a house. But I did tell her when we were engaged, I said, hey, like, part of my life is that I, we give, I give to the church. And I, this is just part of who I am. I'm putting God first in my life with my finances. How are you with that? She's like, no, it's good. I, you know, I love that. I would love to. And I said, well, you're marrying into a big pledge. <laughs> And I loved her response. She's like, no worries. I got it. Let's do this. How much is it? <laughs> right? So she, I tell her, and she's like, well, I'm in. Let's do this. And so it's so cool that we got to do that. And that was a pivotal point for us. It was a pivotal, pivotal point in our marriage, you know, starting off new. And, and like, it's about putting God first. And so God worked in and through that. And giving, I think, helps you and I cultivate really what matters. It helps us to be thankful the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It helps me understand that I'm a steward of what God gives me and that really the tenth isn't just his, the tithe. He owns all of it, all 100% of it. He gave me the intellect to get the job. He gave me the ability, the health, right? All that. It's all God's. And it helps me to be thankful and have a heart of thanksgiving towards God. I think tithing also funds the work that God wants to do in and through the church Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And in our context, that would be the local church. He says to do that. And you think about everything that New Break does. So right now, if you have children, they're in children's ministry. I think of Sarah and her whole team and all the army of volunteers that make children's ministry happening. I see that purple shirt. All that make, you know, makes ministry happen. And we don't just plop your kids in front of a video for three hours. Oh, wait, how long do I have? We don't just plop your kid. There's people that love your kids and pour into them and have a little message that they're going to give to them, help them see that Jesus is their forever friend. And, and how many know it takes a community to raise kids? Right now, your middle schoolers are where? We don't know. <laughs> Eddie just let them run amok at the mall. <laughs> what do you care? You're in here. As long as they come back at what? 12, right? No, he's with them. He's pouring into them midweek. Eddie and Marcus, you know, all, all, and, and the people, Jose and different people who are on the team, like pour into your kids, my kids. I'll just tell you right now, I got teenagers and I haven't got a clue what to do with them. I'm sorry, I'm not writing the book on how to be a perfect parent. Here's the seven steps. Well, I'm sorry. You guys got really quiet. Were you waiting for that book? <laughs> it's hard. And if you don't have teenagers, then you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll get there. <laughs> I need a community to help raise my kids. My faith community. I need help. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Like, that's the deal, right? That's what the church is for. Kamar and her army of volunteers who help do all of our outreach all around Tirasana and around the community. This place, the brick and mortar where we come and worship God where we gather together to strengthen each other, to hear the word, like all of that matters, but all of that takes what? Resources to make it happen. It takes resources, and when we give to the church, that's what flows out of it, is life, is life. See, nothing succeeds without dedicated resources. And when you and I give, we, we join together as a team. And when we join together, we're joined together to fulfill a vision, which is for us at New Break, obviously the, the, 
the goal and vision of every church, big C, God's church worldwide, is to glorify him and make disciples. And so we see that as developing Christ-centered leaders, disciples, who change their world. And the way we do that is that we think it's all about connecting people with who? God. And we do that because we're a highly relational church through authentic relationships, life groups, to then serve communities. That's what New Break is about. So when you give to New Break, when we partner together, your shareholders, our commitment together towards you and to anyone is that we will fulfill the mission and the vision that God has called us to. And so there's a whole group of people that oversee our finances. There's no one person that just makes the decision. There's a board of elders and godly people and the campus pastors at all of our campuses all come together and pray and think, how, how do we align the resources that we all give to expand the kingdom of heaven here on earth. See, that's what that does. That's what it's about. And so when we give, life happens. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that give. You're making a difference. And I want you to always see that connection that we can take something as simple as, as money that God's given to us and give it to actually see lives changed. That's, that's basically the, the, the connection point. Because then we use that to lives changed. Hey, Lisa and I, over years, you know what? I, I don't miss the money we've given. I don't miss literally the hundreds of thousands of dollars we've given over the year to the church. I don't miss it one bit. Not one single bit. God has blessed us, and quite frankly, I, I, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven to see people that I don't even know that we've helped around the world and here, and they're like, hey, you gave that little bit of money, and let me tell you what happened. Somebody told, told me the good news. I gave my life to Jesus. I turned out to be a doctor and helped these other people and, you know, around the world. Like, that's how the stories work. This isn't like hype I'm giving you. This is actually what happens. <laughs> And as you get older and do this longer, you begin to meet these people and meet other people, and you're like, what else am I going to give my life to? What else am I going to do? Am I really going to just buy another Apple Watch? It's like, you know, amazing what we get to do. You see, God wants to bless you and I to be a blessing. God wants to bless us to be a blessing to the world, and tithing unleashes that in our life. I don't know if you've ever been to the country, but you'll notice sometimes when there's a row of houses, there's a ditch in front of the houses. That ditch is a drainage ditch so that when it rains, that water can, can flow through. You know, maybe you've been to Ramona. <laughs> and so, sorry, anybody from Ramona? No, don't raise your hand. Uh, so that water's meant to flow through. That's the blessing of God. What am I not saying? I'm not saying if you give, God's going to bless you. What I'm saying is, if you're a Christ follower, you're already blessed. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are already richly blessed. You are part of his family. You are blessed. And the flow of God wants to flow through that drainage ditch of your life so that the blessings flow in you and through you. Now, here's the problem. When we're disobedient with what God has entrusted to us as a steward... It's like letting a bunch of weeds and branches and trash and rusty cars get thrown into that ditch. 
So when God's blessing's flowing, what happens? It gets backed up in your life. And it no longer is flowing through your life to you and to others. It gets clogged. But he wants to unleash that in us, that blessing in our lives. And so Malachi ends this statement from God. It's one of the most profound passages of Scripture as it relates to stewardship and our finances. He says this. This is God saying this. Test me. Test me. See if I won't open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I will prevent pests, vermin, from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you what? Blessed. And you'll be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do in our lives. See, blessing is simply having God's power working with and for me. And so it requires us to take intentional and disciplined steps to make that happen. For some of us, we have to like work on our budget. You know, go to Financial Peace University Life Group starting in January. Some of it requires us to kind of align our lives in a way that anything that's of value takes discipline and effort and develop practices. And so I want to just think this through for a minute. What is my next step on my generosity journey? What is that for you and I? And I think there's three practical things I want to give you before I close this morning, and that's this. The priority step, the percentage step, and the progressive step. See, generosity won't happen unless I make it a priority. I already said that earlier about making God first priority. And so for Lisa and I, we make it a priority when in fact, I, have, I automate it so that when we get paid, it automatically, I set it up with New Break on the website, our giving portal, so that it just um, automatically takes it out. That's an act of worship for us that we do every two weeks because we just, that's how we live. And so I want to encourage you to make it a priority, to adjust your life in such a way that it can happen and to automate it. And then I would encourage you to make it a, uh, a percentage. Here's the thing. I, I can't really evaluate my giving in terms of dollars. Because when I do it that way, I can cheat myself. Instead, I do it based on percentages. And so for Lisa and I, we look at our lives and we reflect back and we're like, okay, so this is the percentage we want to give. And, and we do that. And we adjust our lives to make that happen. And people ask, well, what percentage should I give? And I always tell people, start at the 10%. Start at the tithe. The Bible writers have a lot to say about the 10th and about the tithe. And I know right now when I say that, some of you are thinking about your finances, and you're like, okay, I'm extremely uncomfortable. Okay, I'm uncomfortable. Well, listen, so is a colonoscopy. <laughs> but it saves lives. Right? <laughs> It saves lives. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> no, really. Start somewhere then, okay? If that seems like crazy, like there's just no way, I get it. Start somewhere. Start at 1% if you need to. Again, do it a percentage. And then get to that. Because what I've found is as we do that, God kind of recalibrates my life. And as I recalibrate, it becomes comfortable at whatever 
level that I'm at, which brings me to this last point, which is the progressive, the progressive step, which means that over time I raise the percentage. And we've been doing this for years, Lisa and I, we keep raising the percentage. Every year we keep taking a jump. And so we have to make adjustments and then we get used to that. And then we do it again and we get used to it. But I've found that it just frees my heart. It frees her heart. It's an example to our kids. Our kids are like, what are you giving all that money away for? <laughs> right? <laughs> so it lets me have the conversation with them about generosity and why we do this. It's a great teaching tool. And so that's the journey that we're on. I think progressive generosity allows us, you know, to change and to grow with it. Life isn't stagnant. Life is not stagnant. And it's progressive, and so our generosity and giving should be the same. I love this quote by John Maxwell. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. In the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I'm going to say about that. Pray with me, will you? Father, we love you. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for speaking honestly to us in your word, God, and doing it in a way that shows us that you love us. God, always give us ears to hear hard things. But I think more importantly, God, it's, you say return to me and I'll return to you. And so, God, give us a heart that always returns to you. Give us ears that hear, but give us a heart that responds. God, help us to not just back away from the challenge that you give us, whether it's in finances or whether it's how we live our lives or our attitude or anger or whatever. God, always help us to have a responsive heart. Thank you for your promise that you'll always return to us. In Jesus' name, amen.